are doing a two-week mini-series on spiritual warfare. And today the topic is the enemy. Now here's the thing. Todd, great pastor, love Todd. I do feel like he tricked me. Uh, He said, Stan, you want to preach? Yeah, Todd, put me down. Great, you get to teach on the enemy. It's like, oh, that would have been helpful information. I don't think it would have changed my answer, but I was not prepared. And and honestly, I've been in full-time ministry now for about 15 years, and I don't think I've ever explicitly just taught a whole sermon on Satan and the devil, right? Uh, But today is the first for that, uh, and I'm excited. Now, in preparation, I asked my family uh, during uh, supper this past week, I said, hey, girls, what do we know about the devil? And this will tell you what kind of music I listen to and the family I come from and raise. Yeah. Uh, the girl said, the devil. The devil went down to Georgia, didn't he? And played fiddle against a guy named Johnny. Uh, country music fans, Charlie Daniels, those that are lost. Let's get you some music uh, in your life. But, but no, that, that wasn't. So we've got some work to do. It was fun. Our, our five-year-old said, yeah, the devil went to Georgia and Jesus went to Florida. It's like, I don't... <laughs> I don't know where you would get that. Uh, so I've got my work cut out for family devos in 2022. But, but here's a truth I want to start with. A pastor friend of mine shared this, and I think it's fitting to create a hunger for today's study. It is this, and it'll be on a slide. If you never meet Satan on the road of life, perhaps it's because you're heading the same direction. Does that make sense? That, that we should expect to meet Satan face opposition in our life, Christian. Jesus himself was not immune to to escaping the temptation of Satan. The only way is is, is, perhaps if we're heading the direction that he would want us to be heading. So we're going to face opposition. And I think this is fitting when you think of starting a new year. People come in, oftentimes it's like, hey, I want to resolve this year to, to, to be about this. Uh, to my Bible reading plan. I'm already a day behind, but this is the year I'm going to read my Bible. Or this is the year I'm going to get a better work-life balance. This is the year I'm going to put down my phone when I get home from work and better love my family. This is the year. You look at any of those things, right? None of them are overly complicated. But the enemy, Satan, does not want you to make good on your Bible reading plan. Satan doesn't want you to to better lead your family. Satan doesn't want you to figure out a work-life balance. There is opposition. And so we start with this understanding that we're going to face opposition. And 1 Peter 5.8 says that we need to be alert, sober-minded. The enemy, who's the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We're going to unpack that more today. But it's this idea that we need to be sober-minded and alert. And today we're going to look at Satan and see that who he is and kind of some of the tactics he uses. And that's a big focus. Todd's going to come up next week, and he's going to talk more about the arena and how we do battle. But today, the big thing is going to be looking at Satan, better understanding who he is. And so I want to pray for us as we dive in this morning. And God, we do just ask that you would, uh, by your spirit and through your word, show us what is true, reveal us, to us the lies of the enemy and help us, Lord, be better equipped to live a life of obedience and one of joy to you. And so we just pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Genesis chapter three, if you have your Bibles, you can open up there. I'm going to, because it's a a, a topic 
we're gonna be all over in kind of scripture and I'll do my best to put those on the screen for you. But Genesis three is where we first get introduced to Satan, the enemy. Now, familiar with scripture, chapter one and two, creation, things are looking pretty good <laughs> up to this point. And then Genesis three, the serpent enters and things go crazy after that. And so in Genesis three, chapter one, uh, so Genesis 3, verse 1 says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. So the serpent, we learn right away, is crafty. Now this isn't like has a page on Etsy kind of crafty. This is a different kind of crafty, okay? Not uh, a desirable characteristic. And he's crafty. And, and we, well, who is the serpent? Looking outside of, of Genesis, actually going to the very last book of Scripture, uh, Revelation 12 tells us in verse 9, and the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent, who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the world. So the serpent in the garden is Satan. And how did he get there? In verse 9, Revelation 12, 9, it says this, he was thrown down to earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Now, he didn't start there. Satan was a, a created being, an angel, specifically a, a cherub, Ezekiel 28 tells us, which is apparently the, the highest elevated angel that one could be. And Satan became arrogant in his beauty, in his status, and decided that he wanted to sit on a throne above God. Now, you can help me with the fill in the blank. Blank comes before the fall. The answer, pride. I don't know if the originators had Satan in mind, but it's certainly fitting because Satan becomes proud of his beauty, his position. How can I show you that in scripture? Isaiah chapter 14, it'll be on the screen. See the pride here. It says, oh, how you have fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn, how you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, and I want you to see the pride, the I will statements here. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will set on the mount of the assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high, but you are brought down to shield the far reaches of the pit. This I will attitude in other words, say, like, my will. This is what I want done. It's what, an attitude of pride, self-exaltation. Forget God and his will. I will. My will be done. That's in direct opposition to the life of Jesus, who in humility considered others better than ourselves. Philippians 2 tells us that we should have that attitude of Christ, who became obedient to death, even death on a cross, it was Jesus who taught us to pray, Christian, that we ought to pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. And so we see Satan with this my will, I will attitude is in direct opposition to what God would have. And so when we look at Satan, if you're taking notes, one of the first things you got to notice, pride. Pride is a key marker of, of Satan. And those that follow his will are ones that are acting out of pride, I will. I don't think of myself as like a, a Satan follower, but I do think that this attitude creeps in sometimes for me, and I wonder for you. 
It was about a year ago, starting 2021, our family, we got gifted uh, an opportunity to go to Florida and stay in a place uh, for free, sunshine. This is probably why my five-year-old thinks Jesus lives in Florida, uh, is because it's just so nice to escape a Midwest winter and be, uh, be there. But as we were there, kind of as a family, took a week-long vacation, you know, and it was, it was really fun. But I found myself in my heart saying, man, this is a new year. What do, what do I want for this year? Like, what, what are the desires that we have? And it wasn't with an attitude of like prayer and fasting. And it wasn't like anything overtly. You're like, you know what I'm going to do is, is all this evil thing. No, they were like noble things. Like, like they're good desires perhaps, but they didn't originate. The, the starting posture of my heart was not, hey God, what do you want? It was, hey God, this is kind of what I want. Would you bless that? Which is just a really kind of covert way similar to what Satan has done here. It's like, hey, here's my will. Would you just bless that? I found that attitude, like being there. And I'll tell you what, made some really good plans at the beginning of last year. It did, my will was not done for 2021. I'll tell you that. Not at all how I'd scripted it out, laying on a beach in Florida. God's will was done. And I had this phrase back when we doing Bible study with some college guys. It's like, man, either be humble or get humbled. <laughs> Got humbled and, and, and God's will was done. And I just, I just want to beg, like, would we start with that posture? Now, I know that there's some procrastinators in this room, men talking to some of you. You just heard somehow in that illustration, plans are bad. Don't make plans. No, <laughs> no. Let me clarify. Plans are not bad. They're neutral. Kind of like money. Money's neutral. Money's not an evil thing. What you do with it determines it, right? Does that make sense? So plans aren't bad. If your plans, though, are made like with a pride in your heart, well, then that's bad. But Jesus had a plan to go to the cross, and so it's not a bad plan. It's not a bad plan to, to walk in line with the Lord. And so James 4 says that we ought to have that attitude. Lord, hey, if the Lord wills it, that's what we're going to be about. So plans aren't bad. So just, but pride is bad. And I just want to ask the question as we study the text today and we see that's kind of who Satan is, pride, is some of that creeping into our lives in those subtle ways, those subtle ways. And so we look at Satan, we see pride. Another thing, right out of the gates of Genesis 3, you still have that open. We're going to see that he is a liar. He's proud and he's a liar. Verse 1 the second half of it says this, and he, Satan, said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the trees in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Here's the thing. Both Satan and Eve actually got it wrong. You can look in chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. What did God actually say? This is what God actually said. Both of them got it wrong. God said this, Hey, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for on the day you eat of it, you shall die. Here's what Satan did. Satan twisted it. He really calls God's goodness into question. He said, really? 
God said you can't eat Eve of any tree? That seems ridiculous. Well, yeah, but that's not what God said. But he twisted. He said you can't eat any tree? Notice what Eve, though, she doesn't get it right. Eve says, well, yeah, we, we can eat from all the trees, but not this one. True. But then she adds to it. Oh, and we can't even touch it or we're going to die. And this is a different sermon for a different day. How many atrocities have been done within the Christian church by God's people adding to God's word, adding to God's command? Eve adds to it. So neither of them, and again, there's this confusion that gets created because Satan is a liar and he's twisting God's words and he's not done. And see if you can spot in verses four and five, what's the, what's the root of the lie here? The serpent, Satan, the devil, said to the woman, you'll not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. John 8, says this of Satan, that, that when he speaks, he speaks out of his own character. He's a liar and the father of lies. That's just what comes out of him. And so the lie that he's perpetrating here is one of this. Hey, God is holding out on you. God is holding out on you. God, he doesn't want you to do that, and he's, he's holding out on you. There's something good out there, and God doesn't want what's good for you, so you've got to go take it. And the good thing is, is you could actually be like God. That's the lie that Satan is peddling, right? God is, is holding out on you. He's withholding. That's the kind of God that, that's giving you this command. He's withholding, and there's something good, and you just got to go take it. Here's the thing, Christian, for several thousand years now, Satan has just repurposed and repackaged that same lie over and over and over. He's had a lot of practice and he's getting pretty good at it. Working in, in college ministry a lot, here's what I see. In college, people, uh, students, especially in the Midwest, it's like, man, I'm going to go get a degree and there's something else I'd like to get when I'm there. A spouse. <laughs> you don't believe me? Show up on a college campus around February, and there is a tension in the air around Valentine's Day on a college campus that is just like palatable. You're like, well, okay. Okay. So here's the thing the lie Satan tells students, and just, we're just going to take one specifically so you can identify this, is God's holding out on you. When it comes to relationship, I don't know if you can trust God. I don't know if you can trust God's timing. I don't know if you can trust God's way. That's the lie that he would tell a college student over and over again. And so, therefore, I don't know if you can trust God's timing in that. So what you need to do is you need to go ahead and act on things now. I mean, God's given you this desire, and so you can go ahead and force that relationship. Or you should be able to go ahead and look at that stuff on the internet and act on it. I mean... That's the urge that's there, right? So it must be from the Lord. And it, what Satan is doing in those moments for those students that he's, he's saying, you need to question God's goodness. You need to question God's timing. In 1 Thessalonians 4, I, will, I love to just go there with students and say, let's just open this up. I think God's scripture is sufficient. And so 1 Thessalonians 4, it's written to those believers and saying, you, you say God is good. You say, God, I love him. Uh, I, I surrender to him. 
But then you say, I don't know about his command over here for, for relationships, and so I'm just going to reject that. I'm not rejecting God. I love God. I'm thankful he's forgiven my sins. I'm just rejecting his command in this thing. Do you see the confusion? In 1 Thessalonians 4, it begins to talk. It's like, uh, I don't know if you can do that. <laughs> like, I, don't know, I don't know if you can say, I don't reject God. I just reject his commands. He's saying, actually, you're supposed to abstain from sexual immorality. Chapter 4, verse 3. You need to learn to control your own body in holiness and honor and not be given to passionate lusts like the Gentiles. And he's saying, and if you actually reject that, that teaching of God in verse four, chapter four, verse eight, you're actually rejecting God. Does that make sense? That we can't, what's happening is like, well, I'm not trying to reject God. I just don't like his teaching. I'm not rejecting God. I just don't love what he says when it comes to my finances. Or my time. I don't know if I can trust him with this. And the thing that I would want us to, to, to look at and I would want those students to say is, I don't know if we can continue to say, yeah, I'm not rejecting God. I'm just rejecting his teaching. First Thessalonians 4 said, yeah, that's one and the same. In fact, the God that you think you're not rejecting is little g God, idolatry, one that you've created. Romans 1.25 says, uh, you've exchanged actually God for a lie, worshiping created things rather than creator. That's a God that you've made that works for you, that you can say, God, thank you for the blessing, thank you for the forgiveness, thank you for that, but in terms of this over here, this is mine. I want you to be Savior, but just not Lord. Doesn't work like that, but that's a lie that Satan would want us to believe, that we can Create a God that works for us. And I'm telling you, it's an easy temptation because here's what's in my heart. I don't know what's in yours, but in my heart, it is really easy to say to God, God, here's my sin. Ugh, like you can have that. But my life, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I trust you with this. Thank you for, for dying on the cross for that. But when it comes to these things, I don't know if I can entrust that to you. And it's believing that lie from the garden that God's holding out. He can't be trusted. That goodness is out there and you got to kind of go accomplish it your way rather than surrendering to him. And I just want to ask the question, are we somehow so subtly believing that lie that we can't trust God's goodness? We can't trust his command. We, what God says about being in community, practicing the commands to love one another. So yeah, God, I know that, but you don't know how busy I am. So therefore, we're going to do things my way. What God says about finances and, 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 and being generous, it's like, yeah, but, but if I give, what about me? Again, Satan is a liar, and he's getting pretty good at it. And here's the, here's the thing that he wouldn't want you to remember, that God in his goodness, the very goodness he's causing you to question God can be no more good to us than he already has been through Jesus Christ. God is, has displayed his goodness to us by sending his son, Jesus. And so we can entrust him not only to forgive our sins, but with our finances, with our time, with our talents. We can entrust all that to God because he's displayed his love for us. And so here's the thing, as we continue to look, if Satan's willing to lie about God and make stuff up about him, you better believe he's willing to lie about who you are too. 
and bring accusations. I think just seeing that like this practically, he's an accuser. Revelations 12, 10 talks about that. And he's just gonna bring accusations. I think of like young moms. I see this, like Satan the accuser is like, oh, you young mom, like your baby's not sleeping through the night. You're, you just must be a terrible mom. Like that's a lie from hell, right? Babies just don't sleep. They just don't do that. I don't know why. It's just, that's just what is true. Uh, it, it, it takes a little bit, but there's this like lie. It's like, you must be doing something wrong, mom. I mean, if somebody else had this kid, this kid would be doing better. Lies that, that, that Satan would want. He's lying about God. He's going to lie about you. It's like, actually, you know what? Like, other people don't struggle like you do. You must, you must be unique. You must be, you really must be broken to be struggling with your identity, with your, your image. Lie from hell that Satan would say, actually, you, you shouldn't probably confess that to the Lord or to others because nobody else does that. You, that that's something you should hold in. I mean, Satan just loves to lie to us and, and what he's doing in those moments so you understand his character. Satan would love to keep us alone and in the dark because, man, that's where he loves to fight, in the dark because he's nocturnal, and that's just like a prime position to just like cut us off from community, from the Lord, and breathe that lie to us. And so Satan is an accuser, and he would want you to forget. And here's the thing. I think some of those lies can kind of stick because there's some truth to it. Like the reason that, that we believe that, that I believe that, is because there's some truth when you're like, when Satan says, man, you're a terrible person. In one sense, it's true, right? Is it not? Where you're like, I am. <laughs> that's, that's why Jesus had to die on a cross for forgiveness of my sins because I'm not good. And so there's some truth in there, but Satan wants to push it further and he wants you to forget. Now 2 Corinthians 5.17 says though that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Satan would want you to forget Romans 8 chapter 1. Therefore, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. He don't want you to remember that. And so he's going to lie. He's going to twist some things. Here's the simple thing. I can't address every lie. And again, Todd is more practically going to get into that next week about that battle. But just play it back in your head. Does that thing that's being told to you sound like something a loving heavenly father would say? I mean, so, dads, we're not perfect. Some of you have fathers that aren't perfect, but you're like, I don't even think my own dad would say something like that. Probably a good indicator is from the pits of hell rather than from your heavenly father. But again, Satan is a counterfeiter. He wants to take the elements of truth in there and twist it and derail us. He's an adversary to God. That's what his name means. He's one who opposes. Another of his titles is, is devil, which means slanderer. He wants to counterfeit all that God does, hoping to gain worship of the world and encourage opposition to God's kingdom. Satan is the ultimate source behind every cult, every false world religion, and he wants to do everything in his power to oppose God and those who follow God. And I would say it more personally like this, is, is Satan is really concerned about you. Like Satan is, has really taken a special interest 
to you. Not in the same way that God is concerned about you and loves you. Satan is concerned about you because, Joe, he would love to take your business, he would love to take your thing and twist it and manipulate it to bring glory to himself. Like Satan is concerned with your relationship, concerned with your finances, concerned with those things because he wants to take those things and leverage it so that that you would worship him, that they would be used to, to build his kingdom rather than that of God. And so Satan is concerned in the sense that he wants to bring death and destruction and brokenness and so he is concerned. He concerns himself with the intimacy of, of the details of your life. And I would say it like this, that, that again, he is this angelic being who's permanently removed from God. If you, you can take a picture of this definition of, of who Satan is, I think we have it. The summary is Satan is an angelic being who's permanently removed from heaven due to sin and completely opposed to God and all who follow him. And he wants to thwart God's purposes and plans. That's who Satan is. Now, 1 Peter 5.8 says this then, therefore, we should be sober-minded and alert because the enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And I just want to focus on this last part first. What's it look like for Satan to want to devour you? He's concerned with you. What's he want to do to derail you, derail your marriage, derail relationships? How does he want to twist and manipulate things? It might actually surprise you. Because again, this is pretty graphic. Some of you have seen like Animal Planet and you look like how lions hunt. But Satan, again, we learn from Genesis 3.1, he's crafty. And it's a little bit... Different, perhaps, than what you think. C.S. Lewis wrote, um, wrote a lot of things, but he wrote one fascinating fiction book entitled The Screwtape Letters. And it, 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 it's a dialogue between an older demon. It's all made up, right? It's a dialogue between an older demon and a younger demon. And the older demon tells the younger demon this. He said, in regards to tempting, he says, indeed, the safest road to hell is a gradual one. The gentle slopes, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without side posts. You want to lead people to hell? You've got to be gentle, subtle. Because here's the, here's the truth. How many times have we heard the testimony of somebody saying, man, I was going, I just hit rock bottom. I was just broken. And there I cried out to God, repented, and trusted him. I don't think Satan likes that tactic when things are that jarring. And so the subtlety is actually the tactic that he employs. He's sneaky, he's crafty, just like in the garden. I would say it like this. Perhaps the best tactic is for Satan to give you what you want in life to keep you from who you need. I think Satan would love to give you what you want in order to keep you from who you need. In fact, heard it said that, that perhaps the thing... <laughs> that we should be afraid of, oftentimes we're afraid of failure. Actually, probably a better tactic of Satan is to help us succeed in things that don't matter. That would be a tactic from the enemy, is to be really successful in things that don't matter eternally and to detract and derail 
I know we got kids in the service, and so I got an illustration for them, and I just like illustrations. Here's my prop back here. All right, kids, can you help me out? What's this? What is it? Thank you, it is a ladder. Miss Becky told me it's a rickety ladder. She was on it this morning, and she said, be careful. So we're going to see. This could get interesting. Okay, so another way to illustrate this um, is, is kind of like with a ladder. And I think oftentimes in my life, I found myself uh, falling from like this top rung, not like metaphorically, not actually. Although I did a couple months ago, there was somebody doing some work on the offices and they fell from the top of a ladder. Uh, for those that were in the building, it like shook the building. It was incredible. Uh, that guy had to go home from work that day. Uh, but a fall from up here whew, is like devastating, right? This is really painful. And I think one of the tactics, another way to illustrate this, that Satan would want you to forget are the rungs of the ladder that led you to this spot up here. He's sneaky and he's subtle. And I don't know how many times I've traversed this and like fallen off the top rung. And you're like, where did that even come from? Are you kidding? Wow. Because Satan just wants to numb us to those little steps. Again, going back to college ministry, thinking of purity. Where does it start? I was a little bit undisciplined with my time. And that led me to clicking on some stuff that I, you know, and, and that led to like maybe more explicit stuff. And then that got in my thoughts, which that started to lead into action. And then from there, my question for us, church, in light of First uh, Peter, is that we would be sober-minded, that we would be alert to that crafty, sneaky, Satan and what he's doing in the subtle ways that he's trying to derail us. And that we'd be aware and not just say, oh, it's that, that top rung, that's where it's at. But the little gradual, subtle steps that lead to those things. Does that make sense? That's where it starts always. <laughs> you Rarely ever does it go, oh, well, I'm just living a pretty straight life and then boop. But it's these subtle things and so as you study this out, you're like, man, like Satan, he sounds pretty scary, right? Like, should we fear Satan and the demons? The answer, that honestly depends. That response might surprise you. Like, we're in church. You're supposed to say no. It, honestly, it depends, like, if we should fear him or not. And it depends specifically on what your relationship with Jesus in Acts uh, chapter 19, there's these seven sons of Sceva. He was a high priest. And these sons, they see people that follow Jesus going out and performing miracles, casting out demons. I think it's pretty cool. So these seven sons, they're like, we're going to go do that. And so what they would do is they would show up and they would say, hey, in the name of Jesus Christ, whom Paul preaches, we command you demon to get out. All well and good until Acts 19, they go and they show up one demonic person's house, this demonic man, and they say that line, hey, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, get out. The demon responds in Acts 19, verse uh, 13. It says, we know, we know Jesus and we've heard of Paul, but who are you? And the demonic man jumped on those seven sons, 
overpowered them, scripture says, beat them until they were bloody, their clothes were torn off, and they ran out of the house naked, bloody, and afraid. Knowing the name of Jesus, they knew the name of Jesus, but they did not know him personally, and those are two very, very different things. James 2.19 says, you believe in God, good. The demons believe in God. Satan believes in Jesus. He was there with him, tempting him. That kind of belief should not be comforting. I love James 2.19 ends with, yeah, the, they believe and they actually are afraid. They shudder. Knowing the name of Jesus or knowing of Jesus is not the same as having Jesus. And so if you don't have Jesus, yeah, puts you in a vulnerable spot. But for those that have acknowledged our sin and invited God's forgiveness into our lives, asking Jesus to live within our hearts, well, then 1 John 4, 4 says, we're children of God, and he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. We have Jesus living within us. We've invited the Holy Spirit in, and so Therefore, God is more powerful than Satan. And I would say it like this, a right theology should correctly confine Satan to his limited state. If you got your cell phones, you're gonna have to take a picture of this next slide because it is a hot mess of great theology, okay? So this is something for you to review later. We don't have time to break this all down, but I think this was helpful for me. This is from gotquestions.org. It's just a great resource in regards to, to Satan, but I think in my heart, I'd, I'd given Satan too much credit and had this false idea at times where it's like, well, he can kind of do whatever he pleases. He can go wherever he wants. He's omnipresent. He's just all over. And he's this force. It's like, no, that's not what scripture says. Scripture makes it clear that he is not equal to God. He's a personal being that was created, mind, will, and emotions. So he's not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at all times. Now, there's a, a horde of demons that he can tap into, but he's not like God in that. In fact, we see in Job that Satan can't even do whatever he wants. He's got to ask God for permission to tempt Job. And God even in there is like, well, here's some limitations, though. He's really confined. And even that, like Jesus, you know, he had to give a ransom for Satan to Satan when he died on the cross. No. The ransom was the perfect, righteous, heavenly father. Satan, he not, you know, he didn't rule over hell. That's a punishment that was created for him. And so when we, another way to just think through this, when we think of Satan, simply put, he's a defeated foe. Like he's defeated. Colossians 2.15 says that and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. We don't have to fight for victory. We fight from a spot of victory. Jesus has already accomplished it on the cross. He's defeated death. He's defeated Satan. Now, we still live in this world, so it's kind of in part, but one day it will be in full when Jesus comes back and Revelations refers to this with a word. He will permanently cast Satan into the lake of fire where he will be condemned forever to no longer oppose God and God's people. 
And so because of that, we don't have to fight for victory, but we fight from a spot of victory that, that we have Jesus within us, the Holy Spirit. So therefore, as Christians, we can actually be empowered to say no to the flesh and, and yes to the Lord. That we can live out of like that victorious state. I think to kind of sum it up, simply put, Satan is our adversary working against us, but Jesus is our advocate. Satan's our adversary, but Jesus is our advocate going before us. And because of that, James 4, 7 says that, that when we are tempted, when we find ourselves wanting to climb that ladder, go down that road, when we are tempted, James 4, 7 says this, that we can submit ourselves to the Lord and resist the devil and Satan will flee. That promise in scripture, he must flee at the name of Jesus Christ. At the name of Jesus, Philippians 2 will tell us every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth that there's power in the name of Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more messages, visit firstfamily.church forward slash sermons or subscribe to our podcast feed. Thanks for listening.